Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. Hello, and welcome to show number 70 of the Hobcast Book Show. I'm Adrian Hobart. I'm Rebecca Collins. And you are very welcome to join us on the Hobcast, which is the podcast arm of Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following genres. Crime. Mysteries. Thrillers. And suspense. Yes, that's it. That's all we do. That's all we do. <laughs> the small matter of publishing four types of genre with 21 authors, possibly another one coming. Yes. Ooh, another yeah. one coming. Well, Ooh. we'll see this week. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, it's been an exciting week. Right. Well, welcome to the show. And our guest this week is Nicola Cook, who writes as Isabella Wiles. And Nicola is an extremely impressive person oh she really is yeah i mean i have to say that there are some interviews where you just think just keep talking because i'm learning a lot (laughs) and uh, nicola was one of those and we met her at london book fair in a cafe and uh, when you say met well okay we were having lunch with mr robert dawes and uh she was on an adjoining or a table nearby and um she was sort of we caught we sort of exchanged a couple of glances i think during the during the show and then she came and introduced herself um, with a business card and said, look, I'm, I'm an author too. I'm here at London Book Fair, but I do other things. I'm a businesswoman, et cetera, et cetera. I'd love to come on your show. So we accepted the invitation and or rather offered the invitation. And uh, she joined us this week. And it was really, really great from her home in the northeast in County Durham. Yeah. And, uh, well, look, you know, being an author is, is one part of her her life but uh, actually she's an enormously successful businesswoman so uh, there's a lot to be learned she's a juggler she's a juggler but i think the fact she uh, had the guts to come up to us and approach us and ask us shows a lot about her approach to life and her approach to her work absolutely yeah well she's in sales so that's kind of what you have to do but <laughs> we could learn a lot from that um yeah it's not something we're quite as natural at doing well going up to someone and saying read or, my book uh yeah we, we, <laughs> we need to get better at it um anyway we uh, have had uh, an extremely busy... Well, I mean, you have had an absolutely bonkers level of work week. Oh, it has. It's been it's been bonkers um, because I'm still working on the Writers and Artists Yearbook. Um, I've taken on another project, interestingly enough, um, the copy editing of a, a sales business book mm-hmm. from which I am learning an awful lot. Yeah. Um, as well as the Hobeck stuff and looking after children, feeding you, feeding the cat, uh, ferrying people everywhere and playing tennis. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. sleeping. We've done a fair bit of that, <laughs> the, the tennis element, uh, which has really been hugely beneficial for us both, actually, to get outside, for one thing, uh, to get a little bit more... Uh, I suppose aerobic fitness has been a, you know one element of it, but actually, for me, it's just been being able to move again, forcing myself to be able to, to move, and suddenly I'm, I'm sort of springing out of chairs in a way that I certainly wasn't over the you winter. You are, you're like Zebedee. Yeah, yeah. No, it really has woken up my legs from from being during London Book Fair. I mean, they were just terrible 
all the way through, all the walking and all the standing and stuff like that. I was in tremendous pain, actually, the whole way through the London Book Fair. Well, I think you'll have a different experience at the Bristol Crime Fest this weekend. Indeed, which is coming up next week. So that's going to be the feature of next week's show. I need to tell you who the guests are. Because we, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know, but we're going to pick some up. We've got a number of our Hobeck authors joining us at Crime Fest, which we're really looking forward to. Um, some of whom we haven't met in person yet. Some, of course, we have. Uh, and there'll be dozens of other wonderful authors there too, and fans of the genre. So don't quite know what to expect. but um, It's our first one. It's our first one, but we're, we're looking forward to putting Hobeck, Hobeck front and centre. Front, centre, sideways, upwards, backwards, everywhere. About backwards. <laughs> right, let's get into some news, as we traditionally do on this show. And uh, we'll start with the, the big industry macro Go news. on, then. Well, I mean, there's a big article in the bookseller um, with almost every publisher predicting a downturn this coming year. Now, partly that's because, as we've seen with Amazon, with the pandemic fueling their rise and greater sales, when you take a pandemic out of it, suddenly people's appetite for certain things diminishes. And I think that's true with books. Uh, they just simply aren't buying as many. And certainly that's true in the, the – they're talking specifically, you know, there's a big dip in the um, non-fiction market, the, the academic books, which, course, are, yeah. which are the biggest sort of, you know, you get the biggest margins on those. And uh, because people aren't, you know – They're not at work. home learning learning from – yeah, they're not they're not buying books to compensate for the fact they aren't getting lessons in person. Um, the, you know, the, there has been a big dip in that. But nonetheless, overall, the industry is saying that they are expecting a something of a recession, um, particularly as we approach the autumn. Now, in the UK, uh, I think it's true everywhere. There's a cost of living crisis across the world because of rising oil prices. Uh, commodities are extremely you know, taking a long time to get anywhere. It's just taking forever. But also, there's a peculiar thing in Britain of uh, much, much higher taxes, suddenly. Uh, fuel bills obviously going up and various other factors coming into play uh, that are forcing a, a cost of living crisis. And what's one of the things you're not going to buy if you're in, you know, can't afford food? Sweets. It's, <laughs> it's going to be books. And so uh, most of the people quoted in this big article, the 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 um the books that I have put together are saying you know dark things um so perfect instance, for the crime genre well last week hachette uk announced its revenue decreased by one percent for the first three months of 2022 um david shelley who is the chief executive all markets were notably cooler than in q1 of 2021 reflecting both the exceptional lockdown book sales of last year and potentially the cost of living squeeze starting to impact on consumer spending one senior publishing figure told the bookseller looking at the data i think all publishers are seeing year-on-year declines and it seems to be down to a mix of physical backlist plus non-fiction being down simultaneously non-fiction is important because it's also the market leading genre in recent years ebook sales have plateaued while audio sales are still growing mm. so uh yeah ebook ebook sales are plateauing according to this um also that uh you know sales are down according to nielsen by about nine percent across the piece all oh, so, right so that's sort of averaging over everybody yeah so yeah i mean i, I can't deny that it's certainly been reflected in the last month or so 
since since those tax oh, increases absolutely. started to pile What what up. are these tax increases, by the way? National I'm... insurance contributions. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Call yeah. myself a person with a degree in economics. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean there's various, there's lots of other stealth taxes that were dropped in as well. Oh right, so, okay. And but, they tend to be the things. It's not necessarily on the people who earn the most as well. No, no. But I mean, you know, if you're driving a car anywhere, you know, your your cost of fuel has gone up by. I don't know, 40p a litre. Yeah, and that makes a massive difference. If you're someone who has to travel a lot for your work or... Uh, if you have to travel anywhere. I mean, the fact yeah. is that fill the tank now is 100 quid. And, um, you know, it certainly wasn't anywhere near that in the past. No. You know, I put in, I don't know, uh, I think it was 20 litres and it was 40 quid nearly. You know, 38 quid or something like that. It's, 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 it's frightening. It uh, is frightening. You know, and that doesn't get you very far, really. Especially as we've been troops traipsing up and down the country, Tunbridge Wells last week, Bristol next week. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it all adds up. But so, yeah, not a very optimistic uh, picture uh, being presented by the bookseller for this year coming. Yeah, and especially in the autumn months, onwards. Right? Yeah, which is the big period for selling books. Yeah, coming up to Christmas. Absolutely, it's when most of the big releases come out. We also mentioned that um, you know the Harrogate. We mentioned the festival and their plans and who was speaking at, at Harrogate, but they've also announced the, oh, the, long, the long list, list for the for Dixon's the... Crime. And, you know, I'm delighted for, for, you know, friends of the programme like N.W. Craven. Absolutely. Mark Billingham's in there too. Yeah. But boy, oh boy, was it a traditional lockout. <laughs> it really was. I mean, there was just, you know, it's the same names by and large. Um, you know, and I know these are expert writers and they've got a big following, but just didn't seem to be any effort to to challenge the status quo at all no i i always i always think it's nice when you see a couple of sort of um curveballs i suppose you call them mm. um you know who've been uh long listed in a long list for their quality of writing but they just haven't been able to market for whatever reason if they're self-published or a small independent publisher i'm not just talking about us but mm. generally you know it's it is quite nice to see a, a, a broader mix yeah in that way well so. i don't think we you know I, I think we said last week judging by the people on the on the panels and and doing the the, the actual stuff in inside the um the hotel uh there, there just haven't been uh a great deal of change in the way that they approach no. their bookings and so in many ways i admire crime fest for doing something a bit different well and being a lot more democratic really one thing i've learned in my uh sales book i'm copy editing is that uh, sometimes change can make you feel uncomfortable, and yeah. why would you want to do that if you if you know you guaranteed a level of say income or whatever it is in terms of Harrogate, they're guaranteed the same people are going to come if they have the same people presenting and the same sort of panel discussions. If they change something quite radical, it's a big risk. Yeah, maybe, but I still lay that challenge. Down, yeah, no, you know, I agree. I think they should do. I think they should come out of their comfort zone and do something. You know, offer. Innovative. You know, I keep talking about this sort of indie fringe. What? Where's the harm in that? Where's the harm? I mean, the Edinburgh Festival lays on the big set piece events under the main umbrella, but actually, the thing that most people come for is the fringe. That's true. That's very true. That's a really good point, actually. You know, because you can't. You know, the tickets for the big, you know, marquee events, if you like, and the literary festival, all that stuff. Uh, go very quickly, you know. So you know, the Bolshoi ballet or whatever turning up, that'll go quite quickly. 
But it's the other stuff, the stuff you can pick up on the day, the people with the flyers out in the streets doing mm. the street art and the, the, the street performances trying to get you to come to their thing where there's only 20 people. I mean, that you know, that is the magic of Edinburgh. Absolutely. And discovering something different and seeing people who just do it for the passion of it because they're not going to make any money it's, out of it. It's them. a kaleidoscope, isn't it, yeah, of creativity? Absolutely. And uh, I, I, I just lay down that challenge. I just think that there are... There are many more perspectives they could add to it. But as it is, I mean, Harrogate is the big crime festival in uh, Europe, certainly, and uh, can get the biggest names, and they have. Fair, fair play, fair play. But surely there's room for something else. There just is. A little bit of innovation. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's their challenge <laughs> for next year. If not, we'll do it ourselves. <laughs> if they're listening. I don't know if they listen to the whole We'll cast. stick a marquee up in the middle of Harrogate and we'll, we'll do our own thing. I think we need a little two-man tent with a Hobet cat on the side. <laughs> We'll see. That's where we'll be living next year. Right. But it's cheaper than a hotel. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, we've, we're dodging that bullet again this year, <laughs> for sure. Okay, let's get into a couple more stories that we've got. Um, okay, well, we were talking about Crime Fest, obviously, um, because we're going there this weekend, coming weekend. Um, and it was also um, announced that uh, Crime Fest have given away... Now, I love stories like this. Yeah, you do. They've given away more than £5,000 worth of books... For children who live in inner city Bristol who don't have access to books or just, you know, their families can't afford. And I love that. They're giving something back. It's not just a, ooh, ooh, look at us, we're a festival, ooh, ooh. Yeah. They're doing something to encourage the next generation of readers. And that's always a good thing in my mind. And I'm sure Malcolm Malcolm Rutherford would be proud too. Yeah, Marcus Rashford. Well, (laughs) I think he should just concentrate on playing football properly. Oh, is he uh, not? He's not doing very well. well he's not even in the team now. Oh. Uh, I imagine he had tonsillitis or bronchitis, I think, this Aww, week. Oh, poor Malcolm. He wouldn't have improved Man United, who were desperate like yesterday against Brighton. <laughs> and now, I, you know, I, 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 I take some pleasure in Brighton doing well because, uh, in fact... We should tell our yeah, listeners yes, about... I, I will, I will, I will. Look, you'd have to look really carefully, and I knew where I was looking, but I appeared on Sky Sports yesterday because they showed some archive footage... Some years ago, and I can't remember exactly the year, and I was working for BBC Southern Counties Radio. It was my first job in the BBC. And I was a news reporter. But they decided um, for this... Uh, Brighton and Hove Albion, who are now in the Premier League and solidly in the Premier League and been there four or five seasons now, uh, have had a desperate recent history before this. And at one stage, they had no football ground. They just lost their football ground because it had been sold from under them by the owners to become a retail park. And they were bottom of the Football League. So in those days, I believe it was Division 4, as opposed to the League 2 as it now is. They were bottom for almost the entire season, and they were about to go out of the Football League and probably out of existence. Somehow, miraculously, with a few games to go, in fact, one game to go, they managed to rise above Hereford. And so there was this final match at Edgar Street, which was the home of, of Hereford at the time, where basically it would decide the fate of both clubs. Brighton needed a draw. They were 1-0 down. And then with about 17 minutes to go, Robbie Reinald the play, was the player who scored the goal that got them the draw, that kept them in the Football League. And they showed the footage on Sky yesterday in between, uh, just before the match and at half-time. And there was I, on, on the, pretty much on the pitch, actually. With more hair than he has now. Oh, yeah, much more hair. A big, boofy hair. Um, 
thing going on. Anyway, I was sat there. I actually took myself to the fringe of the pitch. So I was about, I suppose, about six feet from the from the um, from the post of the goal, sitting on the on the grass with a lot of photographers and things like that. And there's me celebrating this goal. I can see myself punching the air with my big boofy hair. Uh, Unfortunately, just... I didn't get to see this delight because no. it was too late by the time No, it was, a, I it, was, it was an amazing occasion. And Brighton have risen from those dark days of having to travel to Gillingham uh, for home matches for several seasons. They were, they were uh, nomads for about, a, about three years, three seasons where fans had to make a 150-mile round trip to get to see their team. And then they moved to an athletic stadium called the Withdean Stadium and faced tons of opposition from well-heeled uh, people who lived near the Withdean. It was in the posh bit of Brighton. Uh, and eventually, after much shenanigans, when I was a reporter, I revealed where the new stadium was going to be. It was uh, an exclusive, and I won't tell you how I got that exclusive because it was borderline illegal. Did you but, have to kiss someone? No, 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 no. I, 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 I basically, no, I can't say what I did. Anyway, I found out the secret plans as to where the stadium was going to be. And uh, as a result of publicising or pu publishing that, that piece of information, um, it caused a, 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 a storm, for, rolled on for about a couple of years as, as, a, as a, the people of Falmer, beautiful medieval village, fought uh, for the stadium not to be where it currently is now. So they've got this fantastic stadium. They're a Premier League team. So I have a little bit of sympathy, but their Man United got rolled over 4-0 by them. And, you know, if we had put out, you know, a bunch of kids, uh, we'd have done better. Because If there I'd was... played, you would have done better. Probably. No, 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 definitely. Definitely. Well, you'd have you tried. haven't seen my football skills. Yes, I have. <laughs> it, we, 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 at least we, you'd have tried, which is more than the current shower did. They were awful. Dreadful. Anyway, that's Man United. And uh, Malcolm Rutherford, or Malcus Rashford as he's better known, uh, was not in that team because he was ill, but he wouldn't have improved it because he's been rubbish all season. Anyway. Uh, Sorry if you're listening, Malcolm Rutherford. We love you, really. OK, let's get to our final well, story because we're sort of digressing Talking a bit. of dodgy dealings, as you were when you worked in Brighton, there was a story this week that I saw on Twitter. So there's an editorial director at HarperCollins, or Harper Fiction, uh, called Phoebe Morgan. And she put out a tweet, which I saw, which said, um, if you get an email from me offering you a book contract, please ignore it. It isn't me. So um, <laughs> <laughs> somebody had, and I've heard of this happening before, actually. Somebody had taken her photo um, and um, slightly altered her email address. So instead of HarperCollins with two L's, they'd put two ones in it. Uh. Um, and it was being sent out to people offering them book deals and if, you know if if you're <laughs> i know we shouldn't laugh but it's funny it is quite funny um so it's called phishing isn't it this this thing that well someone's hacked into her account yeah so yeah. A, spokes, a spokesperson for harper collins said phishing is an unfortunate reality in today's world and sometimes it affects all industries <laughs> so even the book publishing world Wow. It's affected by it. That's, I didn't get the email. Did you get an email? No, no, you... no. I saw it on Twitter. Oh, you saw she on tweeted Twitter. and she was put out to people. Please. I was expecting a book contract from Harvard College. Well, I mean, she must have, as part of a job, had to do that anyway. But you'd think they would have had a discussion, quite a lengthy discussion yeah, beforehand. Yeah, getting a cold call offer of a book deal. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't happen with us, that's for sure. No. Wow. That's special. Yeah. So that's... if anyone wants to interpret, interpret, 
that's not the word, is it? Impersonate, personate, ha- uh, Hobeck books. Um, Don't encourage. <laughs> you know, if 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 the email is full of uh, you know witty and wise words, then it's not. From it's us. not from us, no. no. Anyway, uh, let's get to our interview this week on the Hobcast Book Show with Nicola Cook, who writes as Isabella Wiles. Now, it's not. We're not talking about a genre, you know, a crime or anything like that. But what what Nicola brings us in this sort of, you know, is years and years of huge success in sales and as a keynote speaker around the world, talking about how to uh, achieve great sales and build a sales team and all that sort of thing. So industry experience, and then in 2019, same year we went to London Book Fair for the first time. We might have walked past her. I mean, very likely. She spoke to a few of the people that we spoke to, like LJ Ross and Mark Dawson, people like that. We're in much the same process because we wanted to uh, gain information and get inspiration for setting up Hobeck. In the same way, she had a hankering to write fiction and wanted to, to know more about it. And Penny dropped. So she's written four uh, romantic sagas, I suppose, or yes. still, you know that kind of thing, um, and um, it, it, they're sort of for, for modern uh, women readers. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm not doing this well. You better no, describe no. the rest of the me. Well, yes. I mean, it, it's sort of moving on from from chiclet, which was popular in the sort of late nineties, yeah. early two thousands, wasn't it? And it's yeah. Um, it's the idea that women want to read about romance, but a bit more intelligently written, you know. Yes. With a historic element to it as well, and a saga element to it. So they look really good. I had a look on Amazon, so, you know, good luck to her. I hope, I hope she does really well. And, and she's so focused. It's almost like she's determined to master. And it's I get the impression that's what she's done all her life. She's thought of something and thought, I'm going to master that and done it. So let's speak to Nicola Cook. Well, we're delighted to be joined by Nicola Cook. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Uh, welcome to the Hobcast. And uh, we met at London Book Fair. In a we cafe. did. Our yes. eyes met across the desk, a table. And... <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> Sounds like the start of a, of a, of a romance novel. Well, we'll talk about those it later. But... <laughs> but actually, no, I mean, we were delighted when you, you, you came and introduced yourself to us. We were talking to Robert Dawes, one of our authors at the time. In the cafe. It's his birthday today, by we, the way. Yeah, so we ought to say happy, happy birthday, birthday Bob. <laughs> <laughs> He's showered with gifts from his his many many fans of his acting, no doubt. But uh, it was it was great to, to speak to you because you know one of the things we find so difficult with London Book Fair, and I don't know if it's for you, but it's such a challenging environment because we're introverted, even though it may not <laughs> seem it, at, you know, times like this. To go up and cold call and start those conversations is really hard, but this is. This is your business. This yeah. is your life. This is what yeah. you do. I know that's the interesting thing is like, yeah, so so obviously I, there's two sides to me. So I, I I write nonfiction as Nicola Cook, and then I write fiction as as Isabella Wiles, as my which is what many of my readers will know me as. But my 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 background and my corporate background in my consultancy business, which is all my nonfiction work, is all about sales and marketing and um, and not author marketing per se, if you've got an author business, but mainstream. Um, uh, business marketing and I grew up in a world of sales so it's quite interesting because there are a lot of my author friends are very introverted and after the London Book Fair was saying right that's it I need to go and lie in a darkened room for five days to decompress Um, whereas um, I can flick between like when I'm in writing mode I'm very introverted but when I'm like 
out in the world, I can be very extroverted as well. So I very famously, what um, my first London book fair was um, 2019. And uh, I walked up to the, um, I just stormed onto the uh, the Amazon publishing stand, not the KDP stand, the Ampo stand, and said, hey, I'm the best unsigned talent you've never heard of. And they all obviously just looked at me like, you know, <laughs> we had only to do. And obviously I wasn't expecting to get anywhere with that approach, but I just thought one day I'm going to tell that story when I've made it really big. You know, I'm no, gonna like, be- a, like a pretty woman <laughs> moment when then. Yeah, absolutely. You know, she goes back in the shop and she says, a big mistake so you Absolutely, go yeah, up to them absolutely. with your best seller big. and say you big. made a mistake you didn't listen to me <laughs> I know so so yeah so I do I am a I am a great believer in that um you know genius happens outside of your comfort zone so you've got to you've you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable when it's appropriate so yeah, yeah. no that's very true I mean we've experienced this a few times haven't we pushed each other to get out the comfort zone and then thought do you know what that was actually really good that's true. That is true. <laughs> but I think that, um, but you're naturally, yeah, there's a natural reticence sometimes to, you can do that only so often, or at least maybe you'll, you'll tell us differently because um, I think for us, London Book Fair was um, an examination of all of those aspects of our personalities. And yeah, yeah, when it worked, when we finally found the courage to go and, uh, I don't know, invite Mark Dawson onto the show or, yeah, you know, bowl up to LJ Ross and, um, get politely declined for the second time um you know it, it, you know that that would take us an hour of that where we would there would be this to and fro between us going we'd be around the corner drinking coffee saying what? we just need a break in there so they'd be having a conversation yeah, wherever yeah, he wants yeah, to yeah. approach you'd be they're still talking oh no someone else has gone up to them oh. yeah no, be, well there seem to be layers of barriers that we put in front of us and actually when you think about it what we you know as, as Hobeck we've got a good story to tell they they inspired us to set the thing up um yeah. wouldn't who wouldn't want to hear that and uh and so it's always taken us time to to get going but I but... also I also think you have to think in your head what's the worst that can happen the worst that can happen is you go up to them and they say very politely please go yeah. away yeah and they look at you like you've got three heads and yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> and then yeah that happened you might yeah. feel a bit bruised but you haven't lost anything not really right. you just haven't gained yeah, anything you're exactly where you were before you did that yeah. so you haven't gone backwards anymore and my experience of the author community anyway and people like LJ Ross and, and Mark Dawson and the like and stuff are, are, when you speak to them they're, they're really open and, and super helpful and really friendly and, mm. and and very much want to champion um everybody else's success what is it a rising tide lifts all boats yes and, yeah um, yeah you know we, we we're not in um actually LJ Ross did say this at the London Book Fair so I will credit her for this um is, uh, you know, we're not in competition with each other um, as authors. We're in comp- competition with other media. Yeah. So, you know, what we want is we want people to keep reading as opposed to switching off to Netflix or, or whatever. So um, the more that we can support each other as a community, um, uh, the more everybody benefits from that. So, yeah, so get over yourself and go and introduce <laughs> yourself. Well, I mean, it's like. true, is it? I mean, we did approach Mark Dawson, this this London book firm. We got an interview with him and he was, he was, he was charming and lovely. He had amazing teeth as well, which I've talked about before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, it was, you know, he took the time and he was busy. He was very busy, but he took time to talk to yeah. us. Yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, but again, it's it's one of these things we learned from that experience and we just got to be, I think, sink a couple of gins, hit the hit the room and, and go for it um. <laughs> he kept saying that he kept saying we'll just have a couple of gins and do it we didn't have any gin oh that's i was cool. waiting for my gin <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Well, let's let's take you back then to 2019 at that book fair. What what were what changed for you having had that experience? Well, that was a real pivotal moment for me because if I if I can start the story even before that, so mm. I had a traditional publishing career in nonfiction yeah. at, the, at the end of the noughties, so 2008 and 2009. Um, I managed to get a book deal um, with um, what was then Pearson Education and Prentice Hall to publish two um, books um, in various spheres. One was one was personal development, or what they sometimes call like airport psychology. um and and the other was it was a mainstream sales skills book um and at the time I was obviously like cock a hoop as you are you know like this Mm. is your entry into publishing and I had a fantastic editor who worked with me on the on shaping those manuscripts and, and getting them out there and and they went they went wide and they went really really big and I um you know I thought right this is it this is this is my publishing world has has taken off and um you know one book went into they sold the rights into about 16 different languages and I was in the top 20 in the W.H. Smith's travel stores and that kind of thing which is amazing you know um and uh and and that was that was really great but then I became very over the next decade I became very disillusioned by my experience um uh, of being with traditional publishing for a number of reasons was one I wanted to do an updated version I wanted to do a second edition and that was never that conversation never happened part of the problem was my original editor and team left yeah so kind of like you're in that sort of no man's land and the thing that frustrated me the most was that um they wouldn't release in the into the new media so I was getting particularly with the sales book I was getting um um emails daily because I've got quite a large community I've got quite a large following in that world um I work particularly with um and um scale-ups and and high growth businesses is my sort of field that I work within and they were saying when's it coming out on audio when's it coming out on audio Mm. and of course I've done the silly thing being a, a naive um uh, author you know I just signed away all the rights without really understanding what that meant and 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 I couldn't get them they, they couldn't do a deal with ACX at the time um to 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 um you know release the the the, the material in audio and I kind of felt stuck like a lot of people do when you've when you've when you've you know sold with it with it with a traditional route and the thing that was the, the straw that broke the, the camel's back was that um I was invited out by UKTI which is the UK trade industry mm. to be the keynote in a really big business conference out in Singapore where we were you know this was this was high level stuff I was at the embassy I was you know I was like the the, the VIP of that particular tour to promote British business in Asia and I was the keynote at the Suntech Center in whatever and this kind of stuff and I'm standing there doing this stuff and I found out afterwards that one of my books was being launched in Singapore the week after and I was like what a oh. opportunity I could have oh. you know I could have been yeah. PR myself all over the place I could have been on the radio could have been doing whatever and it was like oh yeah and it, it was like god they, they they just they, there wasn't that collaborative approach about how do we make this a combined success so I became so for 10 years I went into the doldrums of like well that's it kind of thing you know I published these these few books they've done well I've got a readership but you know what what else can I do not realizing that what was happening at that time was this sort of self-publishing revolution mm. and obviously the early adopters of that were already on that journey but I had no idea about how to publish a book and and you know even format a book or that 
edit a book was was I could just provide the, the manuscript at that stage and then I went to London Book Fair um, <laughs> and uh, in in 2019 because I was kind of thinking about um, writing fiction which is a whole other story I can tell you that after you've asked another question <laughs> but I suddenly found this like space in in Author Central in in and KDP and mm, mm-hmm. Mark and you know met Mark Dawson for real and uh, uh, and I'm I'm like wow okay so this is it so I can actually do something on my own here I don't necessarily need I can use the skills that I've acquired in my business world because I obviously run businesses and I'm an investor in businesses and business to me isn't scary um, uh, and I can combine it with my passion and my craft and my skill and I can take control of, of what I want to do next so so London Book Fair um, was the was the introduction to that and I then kind of went on a whole journey after that point there to kind of get to the bit where I'm where I'm at now and I still don't definitely don't consider myself to be up there with the legions of the LJ Rosses and the Mark Dawson's of the world but I'm on the journey you know I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm doing it and I'm and I'm doing it professionally that's the key thing about making the product the best that it can possibly be so when a reader has it in their hands it should make no difference to their experience whether this is a traditionally published book or um, an indie published book they wouldn't know the difference and then neither should they you know no no, that's exactly our philosophy yeah yeah that's the indie um, values we have in spirit. Yeah, I should know our logo, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah. So the first thing I did actually after London Book Fair was I um I wrote to my previous publishers and and uh, acquired the rights back. <laughs> so well done. That yeah, was, that was the first thing I did was uh, was go. Oh, I could do that. Oh, I didn't. Oh, okay, right. Uh, that's <laughs> that's action point one. You know. Yeah. So, so on that non-fiction side is. The second edition out now is the is the audio. I'm working on it. I've actually um I've got a whole full series that I'm working on on nonfiction that I'll have um published for 2023, um which is more relevant to the work that I'm doing in businesses now. So I have a very very niche area of knowledge. Um, I come from a big corporate background and I've worked in small businesses and so on, but I help. Um, scale up companies build what I describe as a scalable sales engine for their business. Mm. So it's that it's that sort of turning point in a in a company's growth where they're no longer a startup and they're now into the, the you know they've got a small team but they're trying to grow beyond director-led selling and they're trying to put a whole sales system together a whole sales and marketing system um and i'm the sort of like go-to person um for that particular piece of knowledge so i'm actually going to bring six books so um uh, in in non-fiction my next series is going to be i want to write them as um more like sort of one minute manager like really mm. easy yeah digest rather than have like a big business book yeah um, so that's what that's what I'm working on in, in non-fiction at the moment and I will rewrite the little babies that are behind me you can see them yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're still they're still out there and they're still selling and and uh you know I still How about have... audio though because you were talking about people well I'm gonna do I'm gonna do it with my dulcet northeast tones Absolutely, <laughs> you should do. I heard I heard you on the podcast a few weeks ago you were saying that you've just been to Sunderland and so on is um yeah I'll, I'll record those audios myself so um, I've, I'm setting up my own studio like you, so I might be ringing you for some tips. Oh, well, by all means, by all means, yeah. So is that, where, is that where you're from originally then, Sunderland area? I live here, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually County Durham. Yeah. Um, so uh, I always describe myself as a posh Geordie. <laughs> um, but I can go proper Cheryl Cole-like if you want to. 
Um, you yeah. could do that for your audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, I've travelled all over and lived in many, many places and across the UK and abroad. And then I've settled back up here, as you often do. You boomerang back to your native. Same here. Yeah, my mum lives down the road. My sister lives down the road. But I've been all over Japan, Exeter. <laughs> wow, you've travelled. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, that passport stamped if you hit Watford Gap. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's very exciting to hear that you know that, that there is a new non-fiction series. But creating Isabella Wiles, your your, Ooh, yes. your pen name, and the series that you've you've, you've worked on. Yeah. Uh, at what point did that was that immediately after LBF? You thought that's where I'm going to go, or what? What was the gestation and the? It was the just before process? actually, which was part of the reason for. Um, uh, going to London Book Fair because you know once I'd sort of made that decision I realized the amount of knowledge I didn't have and where do you go to acquire it you know well mm. you go to source don't you you kind of go right I need to I need to figure out where I'm where my people are and um, <laughs> yeah so Isabella Wiles has been a long 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 time coming so like a lot of people I've obviously always had the the ambition to write and and I've always and having published non-fiction I knew I can put words on a page and and had the discipline to write long form um so that wasn't so much the scary thing but I um I had an evening with some girlfriends with a clairvoyant as you do and quite a lot of you (laughs) and um I'm I'm in having my sort of session with this with this clairvoyant and they're looking at me saying oh you've had a very interesting life and I'm like (laughs) oh yeah you can say that to everybody you know and uh and then the next line really caught made me laugh because um he turned around he said and you've been let down by a lot of men and I thought (laughs) yeah and you could say that to every female on the planet and potentially uh, the opposite sex as well and they're all going to agree with you but then this guy went on to sort of like quote some things and I thought, oh, nobody really knows about that. And I've never talked about that. And I've never talked about that. And then he said, and you've been thinking about writing your life story. And I thought, well, yeah, but only in like, I mean, who's going to want to read my story kind of thing? You know, like <laughs> I'm not Kim Kardashian or um, and and uh, and also I would add uh, some people would have to die first before I could actually really, like <laughs> yeah. really yeah, the, the real truth. Like um, so I came out of that meeting and, and, and he was, this guy was basically saying to me, I'm being told, I'm being told that you absolutely must do this and you must write this story. So I came out of that, that session with my girlfriends in a bit more gin and having made the exact decision that I was definitely going to write this story, but I was going to write it as fiction. Um, so that I could absolutely, like we all do as authors, we can draw on life experience, we can, you know, we can recall certain, you know, scenes or, or conversations or whatever, but I could craft it into a story that gave me freedom to then basically, um, for it not to be um, a memoir, and for it not to be about you know, just one person's journey through life, was to actually turn it into something that was much more entertaining and, and much more um, uh, uh, readable, really, um, which is what I did. And so the decision to come up with a pen name, uh, Isabella Wiles, was to keep the two brands really separate because there's no crossover at all between my nonfiction mm. work and and this is a completely new um, era. And also, I thought if I do it under a, um, a, an, 
a, a pseudonym if it's if it turns out to be really sh1t then i can just disappear <laughs> into the sunset and that's <laughs> true yeah you never know you know but my biggest fear was was people you know googling like a, need a keynote speaker for a sales conference and then up pops isabella wells <laughs> you know like oh this fiction writer of 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 love stories and women's fiction what's all that about so um <laughs> so that was so it was quite it was quite an easy decision for me to make early on um and then obviously you go through the whole big role of choosing a name and finding a name and, and launching mm-hmm. a name and, and doing all that kind of stuff so yeah so that's where the idea came from and then London Book Fair again was that sort of like pivotal moment of uh, right okay now I now I'm doing this this is this is this is it this is what I'm going to be doing for from going forward right and, and I kind of see this as my my retirement career um, <laughs> I'm in my 50s now so I'm kind of like uh, I've got a I've got a plan as to sort of how I'm going to wind down my my um, my consultancy business over the next decade, and then this will take me into when I'm old well, in a rocking chair and I can't do anything other than just pen. Well, I, 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 I for one am jealous because I'm in my fifties and have absolutely no idea where things. Are I was going to say same here. <laughs> I, I mean, I was thinking, I was lying in bed actually this morning thinking about this, thinking, when do I get to slow down? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that. That's well, not not that um, being a full time author, which I'm not yet, um, is a is a, is a slow down. But um, it, it's definitely a, I see it as being my sort of like retirement career. You know, something mm. that I can do for fun. I mean, let me just preframe that when I I take it seriously and I treat it like a business and I make sure it's profitable and so on. But for me, it's it's um uh you know I'm if I'd done it in my thirties, then I would be in a, it would be, I'd be putting a lot more pressure under myself to make it into a full-time income. Whereas I, I intend to make it into a seven figure business. Um, but I can do it at my own pace. The fact yeah. So you haven't got that pressure that you, life. you must make money out of this absolutely to live on, you know, you could do something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to be fair to my nonfiction books, that's the, that's the um, stepping stone that's allowed me to get to this level. Because although being traditionally published um, and although having hit bestseller lists and, you know, being in multiple countries and so on, I was absolutely in that place where, you know, what's the average income an author makes something like 10,000 a year yeah, or exactly, something. Yeah. You know, yeah I, you know, but um, what those books have brought me is multiple seven figures of, of, of ongoing work and consultancy and, and 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 set my um set my stall out as to that area of expertise so there's definitely a um a, there's a benefit to non-fiction in that way um for, for sure. sure and then that has then given me the freedom to then be able to write the non-fiction for fun so to speak yeah in terms of that transition then you, you know you had the confidence of knowing you could finish a long-term project which mm-hmm. i can't say i do at the moment <laughs> <laughs> but um i mean that's 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 a good thing to to have as a as a as a underpinning for yeah. the, the the fiction side of things but what were the challenges i mean like you br- i mean because you brought out four books quite quickly yeah. mm-hmm. um and so yeah. it was you know you, <laughs> that's a lot of work for one thing but all the while what were the yeah. things that were nagging away at you am i good enough at this or have i nailed yeah, that yeah that's that's a really great question actually and very relevant because um well initially my head got stuck in the kind of like the production side of things so Mm. I got very hung up on you know kind of like how do you format a book was kind of one of the first things that I was googling and then 
realize that actually that's like that you do not need to be worrying about that if this is your first project you know there are freelancers who'll help you or you can get software that will do it for you for relatively um low price ticket point um and what i had completely underestimated was the understanding of story and story arc and in fact the first book that i wrote which um the first um so there's four in the series but one's a novella at the beginning like an origin story and the three main books the first book originally i published under a different name and i did that usual thing where i kind of like rattled out what essentially was a first draft, got it edited as in a copy edit, shoved a cover on it and whacked it up and waited for the movie <laughs> to roll in, as we all did. <laughs> yes. And then when the reviews started to come in, it was really interesting because I literally split the audience. There was like, some people were like, this is amazing. Like I was so bought into this story and, you know, usual stuff, couldn't put it down, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I literally was getting one-star reviews going, eh? question mark (laughs) and when you're self-publishing for the first time and you don't have that publisher behind you to give you the validation that it's a good story you are absolutely racked with insecurities Mm. and I can remember sitting on the train um coming out of London back to Newcastle and I'd had the book with um uh Hidden Gems to get some advanced reviews on it and the first few reviews that came in were all glowing and high you know four and five stars and then as the sort of 10 days went on they were getting lower and lower and lower Mm. and I was literally sat so people who were rattling through it loved it people who weren't were obviously struggling with it and I can remember sitting on the train and I'd had like three or four not great reviews off the bat and sitting with my hand over the unpublished button because I just remember thinking I can't I've got 70 of these to come and I can't take this amount of rejection Mm -hmm. and um thank god for Marjorie right because Marjorie appeared at that moment who I have no idea who she is and wrote a great review and basically (laughs) said thank you Marjorie (laughs) thank you Marjorie you saved me is um you know uh this is a good story but this first time author could would would um benefit from a from a really good developmental edit and I think she's a writer, actually, whoever she is. Mm. And I thought, ah, okay. So what I then did is to answer the original question they asked, what were the challenges? Was I thought I need to go and work on craft. Mm. I, I, I can write long form. I can put words on a page, but I've fallen. I look back now, and I'd fallen into every author trap that I didn't know as a new time author. You know, tell not show too much. Um, me and my editor call it yellow guff on the page, like all the internal thoughts down. Yeah. There. Just, you know, all the stage directions, you know, how walk, someone walks across a room, you know, literally everything. And also understanding the beats of a story and the three the three act structure. And yeah. at, just at that time, I actually found Story Grid, yes. which um, uh, um, is one of many methods. Um, and I really, really embedded myself into that kind of understanding those stories and I listen to all the podcasts and in fact I have a story grid developmental editor now who is amazing Mm. Um, so we over the so I'd written the four books in in first draft form and then basically had to rewrite them all again (laughs) (laughs) literally changing point of views and you know yeah so um the books that are out there now is I I feel really really um uh, proud of and there's a lot of work gone into them and um I'm actually at that stage now where it's like the reviews don't matter if that makes sense because people can have a 
an opinion and not choose to like it but I feel that like it's 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 solid work and it and it's and it's good because I've, I've done the work so to answer the original question craft is the yeah. one word answer <laughs> yeah there's lots to learn and in the in the publishing life there's lots to learn but ultimately it has to come down to craft would be my opinion anyway mm, absolutely mm-hmm. and in terms of those store I mean did you read around that particular side of the genre to sort of influence you or did you go in cold you know thinking this is you know what I think it should be like um well in terms of genre my my uh my my books are very much women's fiction as opposed to um uh hardcore romance Uh, my series is called the three great loves of Victoria Turnbull so there's a bit of a clue in the, <laughs> yeah. in the name because in the first two books, you know, there's three great love stories here, but obviously for them to be three, the first two can't always be as, as simple as it is, but they all weave together throughout the whole series. So it's not just like, um, uh, they're all just bookended. They all kind of unravel. Um, so, uh, and it's quite spicy as well. So there's a couple of open door scenes. So even in the women's fiction genre, because women's fiction can sometimes be very, kind of um you know uh, there, there aren't there isn't a lot of romance or whatever necessarily in in mainstream women's fiction there isn't some but um so to finding that route to market and finding those readers is they have they definitely exist but it's it's sometimes when you're trying to categorize it on amazon it's like you know, yes because if you get it wrong which i did the first time is you know um people who are looking for a absolutely very um predictable happy H-E-A, happy ever after in a romance story would be the ones that would yeah. shred me in the reviews because we didn't meet the expectations so branding and and covers and blurbs and positioning is so so important more to to turn away the readers that wouldn't enjoy what you what you read as opposed to attract the ones that absolutely will love it mm. in terms of your sales background then Mm. applying that to your author business uh and you know we've all worked on the levers the the three principal platforms for advertising facebook amazon and bookbub uh have you found a something that works for you because i mean the the sands (laughs) seem to shift every three months or so we're always looking for the Uh, we're we're, we're finding the sweet spot for it i think there's so there's two things. Um, there's strategy and there's tactics. Yeah. Um, so your strategy is is quite linear, as in like, what's your vision? Where do you want to go with this this business? You know, what's your ultimate aim? And um, you know, which what part of the market are you fulfilling? And that is, is fairly constant. And and that's probably the first thing that you should always be thinking about. Um, so all those kind of questions about really understanding who your reader is and, you know, I have an avatar for my reader, you know, mm, that, I, yeah. that I keep in mind for when I'm marketing and things like that. Um, the tactics are the things that catch people out because the tactics are the, the things that people tend to focus on religiously and kind of like, if I could just get this to work, then it's all going to work. Um, and and the tactics, are, like you say, are like moving shifting sands they're constantly evolving and changing and you know it's tiktok seems to be the big thing that everyone's mm-hmm. talking about at the moment i've and done a tiktok video today have you well <laughs> i commend you because i have not got the patience for it i'm like no you're fine. 
I'll 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 dip out of that space because it's just going to take far too much of my time and energy. For it is time suckage, definitely. <laughs> so um, so the thing about the tactics is um, and and this is definitely from my mainstream business mm. is whatever you choose to do is you need to do it consistently and you need to be prepared to invest over the long term. And I think a lot of people give up way too soon. So I know in my own consultancy business, which has been going for decades now is, you know, I grafted, I grafted for like eight, nine years on beans and rice. You know, we weren't, you know, we certainly hadn't achieved the rewards that we have now. I say we, cause it's me and my husband co-own that business. Um, and, um, you know, like I seemed as if I was like, you know, it, it, it was hard. There was a lot of rejection and a lot of, you felt like you were doing a lot of work for no return for a long, yeah. long time. And then when, when it clicked, it like, it comes like a waterfall. And, you know, I think it was 2017, I doubled my income or doubled my, my revenues and profits. And then I've doubled every year since. And it just keeps going up and up and up and up. And it's, I always tell the story of Chinese bamboo, which is um, a seed for Chinese bamboo will stay in the ground with absolutely no evidence of any kind of change for five years. But for five years, it needs to be nurtured and watered and be in the right conditions. And then as soon as it breaks ground, it grows something like nine, 20 feet in, in five weeks or something. Yeah. Something mm. like that. Um, and any success always seems as if it comes like that. So um, the whole adage about, you know, not um, not comparing your author career with somebody else's author career is so true. And it's, it's just about sticking to your path. And, and yes, you may need to change your tactics and, and be aware of what is working for other people. Um, but um, don't get, uh, I think I always advise, you know, be clear on your vision keep moving in the direction that you want to be moving in, but never be attached to the outcome. Because mm. as soon as you put a, a, a condition on the outcome, then apart from being in a creative world, it it's, leeches you of all your creativity. It actually pushes the goal, the, 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 the reward, even just, it always just feels like it's at the end of your fingertips. So be, you know, all that stuff about kind of being, be do today, be focused today on what your accomplishments are today and be and focus on doing your best work today and just have faith and belief that the rewards for you will come and and those rewards might be completely different to somebody else's rewards but that's that's your journey and that's what you're doing that that was a bit of a a philosophical answer to a very practical question brilliant and also very um, appropriate for us because <laughs> we are definitely in that seed stage aren't we and we do get yeah. impatient and we do sort of yeah. think of a yeah we're two years into the business and yeah. it is still the seed we haven't stage. had a salary yet exactly. yeah and, yeah uh you know we 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 have a vision and we have creative um, values and and a, a, a sort of a code of conduct if you like with with the way we relate to our authors and our audiences um yeah. you know that we stand by uh and yeah but i can't deny there are many nights where we'll wake up and go we really did this to work but that day-to-day thing i relate to because that's what i do i just i just i you do i just carry on working you're stood next to me saying oh things are you know we need to do this we need to do this and i'm just getting the the sort of you know i suppose that's the the division but i mean in the sense that 
you're you're so in, involved in that day to day and, and the excellence of, t of the day day's work and i'm and i've sort of uh, reserved a little <laughs> bit for the for the strategy and keeping the vision and and and, and steering that i suppose but um yeah. you know I, I needed to be better at that that day to day you're welcome to some of the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the first book I ever wrote, um, which was called A New You, um, which was the personal development book, was yeah. is the, the spine of that book was all about if you make a, a minor change today, but if you stick at it consistently over time is where you get the compounded results. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, of course there are outliers uh, in every industry. And, you know, you look at the likes of, I'll use LJ Ross again. Yeah. And, um, you know, where she talks about, you know, she she wrote a book on her maternity leave and then it grew and it grew and it grew. But, you know, the whole ecosystem at that time might be different from the world that mm. you're working in today. And and um, so therefore, yes, you can learn and be inspired from that. But, you know, it may, her approach or what happened to her would, would may be completely different to what would happen to you um and your journey is your journey so I always just focus on um you know thinking about doing things in in a consistent but um uh duplicatable way so things just keep compounding and that's what makes the difference because a lot of people when you see success and that success comes it's they always say like you know an overnight success 10 years in the making Mm. yeah and everybody yeah. has had a journey where and i'm i'm right there you know i've got four books out um or will have by the end of this year um last one's on pre-order um but it's the key thing about the the crossover between what have i learned in general sales and marketing and then and transferable skills and so on is it's about consistent application over the long term is uh so uh, so pick your path and yes, you might have to do a few detours because it's never a straight line. Um, but the difference between success and failure in any industry is usually about the point of where you choose to give up. Um, and the people who make it are the ones who keep going. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to be one of those kind of like contestants on um, Britain's Got Talent or something who can't really sing. <laughs> but believes that they can yeah. so you should always be learning you should always be looking to improve to look for tactics that will help you you know in, in, both in terms of improving craft or and and using the skills of people who are better than you is another thing that I absolutely advocate to so you know buying in expertise where it's where it's relevant to help accelerate that journey um but there's no there's no compromise for doing the work mm. it just isn't it just isn't no, um, it's true. Yeah. I mean, in terms of our business, I think that, you know, I've in the last two years, I've, I can't even put, I can't even articulate what I've learned. There's so much of it. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, if you knew what you knew now in anything, half the time you probably wouldn't start the journey because you realise, A, how big the climb is and, um, uh, you know, how much sacrifice you've got to make and also what you didn't know that you didn't know when you started um you know I, I mean I can remember way back in gosh when was it 2004 trying to fill out my first VAT return and this is this is pre this is uh, for those of you who might be international VAT's a, a UK tax that's collected quarterly from businesses and um uh um and, lit and, and this is when it was done in paper form. These days, everything's electronic. And literally sitting till four o'clock in the morning, trying to work these numbers out. Because if I didn't submit it the next day, I was convinced there was going to be a tax person on the door. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
fining me, you know, and I've got a picture of me like, you know, four in the morning going like this. having it, yeah. (laughs) And uh, whereas, uh, you know, and all those like little things that you learn when you're in a business. So whether you're, it's an author business or a business business, you know, there's so much to learn as you go along that process, Um, which is why, the rewards are great, you know, because the greater the resistance, the, the the bigger the rewards. And I always think to be an author, you've got to be a bit bit mad anyway. Because <laughs> if, if you looked at if you looked at books as um as a as a genuine market opportunity, you know, if if I was if I had my investor hat on and I'm mm-hmm. looking, shall I do this? Is is this going to be a good return for my for my time, energy, and money? Absolutely, you'd say no. No, it's a completely crowded market. The yeah. Support- totally out um strips demand um you know it, like to find your niche and all the rest of it is 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 crazy so all of the, the core principles of what i would look for in a in a growth business do not apply um when it comes to looking at an author business because if you want to be a successful author it's in you and you can't not do it it's yes. just it's, it's like passion. It's an essence and and that's why the products are so great is because the, the, the time energy and money if you looked at your hourly rate uh, how long <laughs> it you to write and then publish a book you would not do it so no, not a chance. I, think, I think we're a special breed anyway but you know creativity and the arts are are what make life interesting in my in my view so absolutely need- yeah I mean we're both very creative aren't we yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> my, my first career or my first um career that I wanted to be was a professional dancer so I've got that sort of like ah. crazy mind anyway I weave that into my stories I use my performance I, I, I'm, I'm desperate to ask you because I, I looked looking at your website and you, you know you were talking about that one of your first non-fiction titles which was about how to sort of create the life that you want yeah not, not be held back by Mm. Uh, elements of class or location or any of those elements yes. that, that, that that you you fought against so um you say you grew up in a, in a steel town and the industry disappeared and I was trying to think where was that was it concert or yeah it... so um so I obviously I'm from the northeast yeah and uh, for those of us who are old enough to remember I I come from a steel town um uh, surrounded by pit villages you know um mm. My family weren't directly um, affected by the the miners' strike, but you could not not be affected mm, by it when, when you lived through it. Um, and um, uh, you know, kind of that that shapes you as a as a as a person. I think always the experiences you have in childhood absolutely form part of your identity as an adult. And um, and it was interesting because I remember going to school and. I'm going to put a pure Geordie accent on here. Yeah. <laughs> the, the things that you used to hear people saying was lo- loss of hope, really. Um, so the kids at school who, you know, their dads, their uncles, their grandfathers, everybody had just been made redundant in, in a very short period of time, literally yeah. under a decade, um, was like, wait, what's the point again at school? Because there's no jobs anyway. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, hmm, well, if there's less market out there, then you need to be better. So like that was the internal message I gave myself was about how to beat the competition. Um, you know, so if I if there's less jobs, for example, it's like, well, how do I prove my value to make sure that I'm the one that gets the job? And I've always had that sort of spirit of sort of that 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 innate um, competitiveness, which is which is what's led to a career in sales, really. Um, but the book A New You came about because I had a devastating divorce 
um so mid midlife um when i kind you kind of think you're on one path mm. and for whatever reason um you know that marriage came to an end but at the time um it, it was a it was it was really tough and it kind of um it it shook every part of my my life my work my personal life my self-identity you know everything was kind of changed overnight and then a new you came about um uh, a couple of years later after I'd kind of done the work to to reclaim myself and to become a new and better version of the person that I was before and all the work that I'd done on that um and the the places that I went and the belief systems that I changed and and that kind of work and the irony is oh let me tell you this story because this is this is a we're all storytellers aren't we so the day I signed the deal um for that book I I met the editor in the Malmaison in Leeds yeah and that's not a city I've ever lived in and my then ex-husband had moved to um the far east and was living out in in I think Singapore at the time um and I came out that meeting and I picked my car up and if anybody knows the the the, the geography of Leeds and where the Malmaison is I was driving around the inner ring road yeah and I literally came around the corner and I stopped at a pedestrian crossing and my ex-husband walked in front of the car. No. Uh, and, and I remember thinking, I did, I did a quick check in the mirror. I thought, yes, makeup looks good. We'll, we'll stop. So I kind of pulled over. He'd gone past and I shouted down the street and, and he came back and we had a conversation on the street. Like this is, de- you know, years after we'd um, divorced, we were both remarried, had, had family and so on. And, um, and it was just a real cathartic moment. And I just thought, wow, isn't it amazing how the world works, how the universe works when you kind of let it do its thing where, you know, here I am, you know, I've just been signed to write a book called A New You, where this was the absolute end yeah. chapter of that previous part of my life as I now step into the the new version. So it is really um strange how um that obviously made it into a scene in a story because i mean oh. how could you not yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. something like that you know well yeah no, um, i mean fact yeah. is, is weirder than fiction sometimes and i mean we i suppose you know you're talking to two people i was here gonna who, say who very are, similar situation we've both been married before we're both divorced and now together running a business yeah yeah i mean you know we have we are reinvented we've, the last four years it's been a reinvention together yes um, yeah yeah you know yeah, yeah. the reason mm. we divorced is because we met each other again and uh, yeah we, we met part. at university originally and then disappeared oh, wow. got married to other people had children we've got five between us excellent <laughs> nice blended family yeah, yeah exactly and and hobeck is the extension of that so you know i've, I've, I've ended a career of 25 years in in one organization and um and yeah. doing this now so in the beep in the beeb yeah yeah the brutal his beeb. favorite place not <laughs> it's funny because we were you know we were at this festival on on, on sunday in, in tunbridge wells doing a literary thing yeah and uh and as rebecca was we were having drinks afterwards with a few sort of fans of robert dawes and and his family Hobeck in general and of course i immediately gravitate to oh what else do you you know have you always run hoback and then it's the then the stories of how yeah evil the bbc is to work within it um come out and uh i can't help it i mean so, I, i'm still i think i don't know what stage of grief i'm in but, it, but i yeah. think it, there must be some at some point in my life i can I, I will be able to put it behind me and not talk about it on every podcast and get to a place of gratitude yeah so actually there's a great saying in that book i'm pu- I'm, I'm really pushing that book um is um uh, is like release the past with joy 
Yeah. So, you know, I mean, because you all know that, you know, the philosophy is like if you hadn't have had those experiences, then you wouldn't be where you are now. Sure. So it's always like um, I always look at, at um, so change the language is the first thing I would say. It's like, so when, if so that divorce, for example, is like, mm. you know, it's very easy to kind of flick into language like, you know, well, my marriage failed. Yeah. Like, well, no, it just ended. Mm. You know, it was right when it was right and it it wasn't when it wasn't anymore. Then we moved in different directions. You know, there doesn't have to be so much intensity put behind these these changes and so on, because holding on to that stuff doesn't do you any good anyway. No, it's no, actually it worse, isn't it? So. As the song says, let it go, let it go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OK, well, I'll it take sounds that. like the book for you. It does. Sound yeah. Because we were at the London Book Fair it's and it was just one situation where we, we didn't get to talk to somebody we wanted to talk to. And he said, it's a failure. And I said, no, I don't like that word. Yeah. It's not a failure. And he, yeah. he, I couldn't think of an alternative. So that, I... was, that was, that was. That... It wasn't right for that moment. Yeah. No, no, that's right. I mean, it, well, I mean, it was an interesting thing because that was actually probably the low point. Oh, it was London totally the low point. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, it really was for us because I said, well, uh, you know, I'm, you were refusing the word failure. And I said, well, what word would you give it then? You know, and it was... <laughs> but the, I was put on the spot. And I couldn't think of it. I, like, I don't know, I, I, but it's not failure. I don't I know mean, what the word no, is. No, the truth <laughs> is, I mean that that then we had a, a you know probably a good hour heart to heart about why we were finding yeah. LDF so difficult. And, why are we here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, then I rocked up and kind yeah, of exactly. yeah, and it was the same day actually. Yeah, it was, it, was day. it was the day. It was the day. You know, and subsequently we were making an episode, and you know, went to this drinks do, which was. You know, again, another thing that's torture because you have these little huddles and you're walking around yeah. with your night friends trying to grab people. But we met some fantastic people as a result of just going past our comfort zone. Um, yeah. We made new friends for the, for for hopefully for life, certainly within our publishing lives. And it was, yeah, I mean, it's, it is these things. I think what you've said, I mean, so much depth and uh, mm. value of what you've said so far in terms of, you know, drawing from your experiences of all aspects of your life. Uh, and applying it to the business the author the creativity um, but I suppose it is that thing you know when it boils down to it when you're on a journey of faith as this is as indeed when you were setting up uh, you know consultancy business yeah uh, you stick at it you know you, you decide what you what you stand for what you're going to fight for and go and do it yeah well the very definition of faith and I don't mean faith in a religious sense no. I mean faith just generally what that is is it's belief in 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 the future before it's happened mm. so uh, and that that um uh, you know that's something that we all have to hold on to when we are dreamers you know when mm. when we have aspirations and we are visionaries and we for both our books and our lives you know i love i mean i i, I admire people who are who are pantsers because i'm not i'm a plotter <laughs> yeah um, because I, I i i can't imagine just kind of like starting a story and just kind of not knowing how it's going to end and just writing it i have to i i like write back to front so from a, a plot perspective i always have to know the direction of travel i'm going and then on the page obviously the creativity happens and so on but even that that um that level of of being outside your comfort zone i do my best writing um when i'm exhausted and I know that's not healthy, as in like being exhausted is not a great state of mind. But it's like once I've got out of my head, mm. right, I haven't got time to overthink things 
and stuff it's like it, it, it does feel like sometimes it's a force that's coming from outside of you mm, where it's kind yes, of yes, you, yes. Are just, you are just the you know the vessel and something is channeling through you and then you know you read it back and, and I mean I still have passages in all my books where I, I read them I go who wrote that that's really good because <laughs> I have a conscious memory of, of, of writing it because it was like you know after a massive because I'm, I'm an all or nothing girl and because I have a very split life is like I'll go into the writing room and I won't emerge for five days. You know, I literally, I have, a, I have a literally have a writing room like a library that I go into that's dark and and like nice and cozy and I put the fire on and and um and literally, you know, you don't want to see what I look like at the end because it's like in washed and showered like a lot of people are when they're writers. But you know, and you have to sort of write past the 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 bit that where you you know you overthinking it and then the the genius comes and then the ideas come and and then the true creativity appears and life is like that get out your comfort zone is mm. is is um is where the fun is where mm. where, where, you, where your true spirit appears is mm. once you've got past your own fears and what about um how you know your kids your husband mm-hmm deal with yeah. you disappearing was they knock on the door and how do they deal with that how... yeah well I have an absolutely amazingly supportive husband um who has encouraged me in all areas of my life and um is super domesticated which is a great help as well I want one yeah you're about yeah. to get one <laughs> next year because even when i'm I'm, um not in writing mode when i'm in consulting mode i'm often away so like you know i I can be away for two three nights a week Mm. generally and i have done even since my children have been very small so he's literally been left holding the babies and and is very happy to do that and 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 enjoys that as well so he works in our business and he does all of the technical and the the digital side of things which Mm. is amazing so he's home-based so he can do the school runs and the dog walk and you know make sure the the fridge is stocked and things like that um and I think what my kids probably observe um from me is yes they do that I do have to set some boundaries sometimes where it's like okay you know knock before you enter kind of thing um Mm -hmm. but then it's also making sure there's time for family as well and and when you're there that you're present and you're with them and you're doing what they need but they definitely um my youngest son I've got two boys um 16 and 11 and my youngest son is definitely going to be an entrepreneur. Um, uh, he's like, he's like, I'm going to have a business. And I'm going to, I'm going to take on Jeff Bezos. That's what he actually said. <laughs> You're going to be my chairman, mom. And I'm like, okay. that's cute. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, he's, he actually said, he says, I think this Jeff Bezos is getting a bit too big for his boots. I think he needs someone to take him down. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know? Just about so, the last course he figures he's doing a good job of doing it himself. <laughs> yeah, take on Amazon, why don't you? Yeah. yeah fantastic, so- fantastic. Well, I think it is time for you to face. I mean, Nick, Nicola, you've, you've overcome many challenges in life, <laughs> uh, clearly. Uh, and, but none, none has as tough as this this is the ultimate question in podcasting rebecca's random Mm. question hit me with it okay um a fairly common question i think and this isn't the question i'm going to ask is what's the first seven inch single you bought right people ask that don't they i'm not going to ask you that i'm going to ask you what was the most embarrassing seven inch single you bought actually probably the first one cliff richard wired for sound (laughs) 
<laughs> See, for me, there's two for me. One is shut up your face. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Shut yeah. Up, shut. yeah. I loved it. I was only about 10. Yeah. I loved it. And the other one is Shaken Stevens, this old house. I don't know why. I just yeah. loved it at the time. Yeah, I, had, I had that single as well. Yeah. So, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was I blue. Think... It was sort of a dark blue. And he was on the front in jeans and a shirt looking all like, you know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's still going. <laughs> well. I, I used to think Cliff Richard was the coolest thing in that video where they're all on their roller boots, you know, yeah. with, with, with the, like, um, the Lycra on. I mean, it's so 80s, isn't it? It's like yeah. Yeah. really bad. I, yeah. was, I was introduced to Cliff uh, when I was working at a little local radio station in Devon back in the 90s, and he was trying desperately to sell tickets for Heathcliff the musical, his musical oh. interpretation of Weathering Heights. Uh, and he was playing Heathcliff um, with, he had this very dodgy beard, dark beard. So he dyed his, you know, presumably he was going grey everywhere, but, you know, he dyed his beard. I can't and imagine Cliff Richard with a beard. It didn't look good. <laughs> Hi, lovely to meet you. Hi, I'm Cliff, um, kind of <laughs> approach. And it was just weird. And then I think two days later, Philip Schofield arrived and abseiled out of a helicopter. As I mean, one we, does. But, it's Devon. It, these things happen. I mean, you, know, you, just, you can't make up the sort of stuff that went on in that radio station. But yeah, Philip Schofield abseiled out. But unfortunately, the rotors of this helicopter, they borrowed one from the Royal Marines to drop him in, make a big dramatic entrance, sent three of the food um, vans that were at this festival of our station spinning through the car park because they just got oh, the wind. Picked, picked up by the wind yeah. of the motors and then oh wow yeah 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 there was candy floss everywhere it was it was, it was oh, yeah i was gonna say like helicopters I've, I've been around a few where they have landed and they are literally like <sighs> yeah it, it's something yeah. else isn't it i don't it's think i've cool. ever been oh only once so um <laughs> Uh, was it Nigel Lawson? Nigel Lawson landed in my school playing fields once. I don't know why. And he okay. landed in a helicopter. Wow. There you go. And we all got to stand on the edge of the field and wave. And wave while he steps off looking like Superman and you're like that. And then he just yeah. gets in the car and disappears. So, so I think he was just visiting. He's more of a Lex Luthor character, wasn't he? <laughs> anyway, um, I don't think I've ever bought a seven-inch single. Is... What, never? No, I never did. I always bought the albums. And I spent so much money on singles. I go to Woolworths and yeah. spend my 70p or whatever it was. No, on... I always bought yeah. the albums. But, but the most mm -hmm. embarrassing one, I, I mean, there were two. Black Lace Party Hits 2. Oh. Which, <laughs> why not party hits one well i couldn't find it but it was in a bargain bucket i thought this would be good fun and it had songs like um jump up and down you know uh wave your knickers in the air and yeah. uh do you speak a delingo uh stuff like that i mean it was unbelievable and um, you know yeah. 80s timepiece. and the other one was the arnold schwarzenegger uh workout album which <laughs> is absolutely fantastic and and you so you get these bits where arnold goes yeah, your great training partner. Squeeze, <laughs> squeeze. Now thrust, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is early, early Arnie. Um, yeah. Shortly after, you know, he he made a couple of films and was just becoming a star. But it's just, you know, the number of things. You, and in the context of when I was doing radio DJing, you could just drop in a little bit of Arnie going, squeeze, <laughs> thrust, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> squeeze it more get your buttocks really tight and all that sort of stuff <laughs> you so, need to get this out now I want somewhere to hear in, the, it. in my box yeah that, um, i think that's a that's a yeah, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's on the podcast. no there's, well, some, there's some there's some bad hidden ones in my in my catalog for sure <laughs> my music is, mm, not good <laughs> but we can you know 
put that aside. We can now move on. You know, that's what that's put, in the past. We'll, yeah. we'll just describe that. <laughs> it wasn't some... a failure to buy that Shaken Stevens seven inch single. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, the right. 80s was such a weird decade generally, though, wasn't mm. it? You know, it was very, you know, capitalism was exploding. Yeah. You know, it was it was very polarizing mm-hmm. in the UK because you had the the wealth of the the you know the yuppies and so so on and then the parts of the country myself like being mm. the north you having a very different experience and then yeah. the, the general misogyny and yeah. um, uh, uh, you know uh, just things that were were said that seen were seemed to be acceptable which now I mean my children would not let me get away with that now yeah yeah I, 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 I think it's really interesting because, you know, I'm a product of that 80s culture yeah. in terms of but as a bloke in the workplace, the sort of mm-hmm. stuff that when I went into the workplace in the 1990s yeah. um, and I was appalled by. So yeah. I tried to sort of move things on and, and, and behave differently. Yeah. But now that version of behaving differently is mm-hmm. seen as uh, the problem. So it's, yeah. I found I, I found that transition you know where you know uh dark humor especially in journalism it was was a you absolutely yeah. had you know we all relied on it like you do if you're a policeman or something like that or yeah. put you know mm-hmm. in the police service or the fire service because you you face tremendous so it's, it's the way you cope with it isn't you it? deal with stories yeah. which just are so raw and difficult and you're, you're seeing you know you're having to knock on the doors of well i mean you certainly when i was in local stuff it was de rigueur you would go and knock on the door of grieving families who just had five members that you know killed in a fire or something yeah. like that uh and you just could the only way to cope with it was to do that but then if you do that you know as an older person in the workplace now it's like you sit you know insensitive you know, yeah insensitive well, i mean I, I could go through all the language but you know nonetheless inappropriate i suppose is the word that they catch yeah. thing you know it's inappropriate behavior to 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 draw on that experience that you had when you were in the you know we used to have I think it's good though I think it is good I mean my my sons definitely keep me on the straight and narrow Mm. and and during lockdown when we were all homeschooling and all working together and things and I would be I can remember um my team was sitting on the on the facing me like we had two screens back to back in our office yeah and he was doing his work and I was doing mine and I verbalized what I'm doing and I was like right okay next job pay the tax man um must have been that day again mm. and uh and my son turned around and he just looked up and he went mom have you just assumed the task <laughs> <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> no no so like, yeah he's on it he's on it you know wow. right. so even even actually editing it's like my editor now it's like you know in my book it's like um or books should I say it's like you know I'll write policeman and she'll change it to police officer and things and there's just yeah. lots of subtleties that like yeah. I because I grew up in a slightly different time but to be correct today which i think is the right thing so yeah yeah it's it's, 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 over myself all the time though exactly it's a minefield and uh yeah but it's true about the children isn't it because we have the most amazing conversations in the car on the way back from school about you know life now and and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and what they've learned at school about you know Mm -hmm. so yeah they teach me more than i teach them yeah it is good (laughs) that's good well look nicola it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you thank you so much for approaching us uh while we were recording that last one <laughs> in the london book fair uh we have gained so much from it i'm sure all our listeners have too um but we wish you every success uh, as you. isabella wiles as nicola cook and you. you know we'll stay in touch i hope 
Really, I hope your back gets better too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks. Okay, then. Take care. I found that interview with Nicola Cook truly inspirational. Oh, absolutely. Me too. I think we danced around the kitchen for a good 10 minutes after that. Yeah, I love doing those interviews and I love ones where... Do you know what? There are pearls of wisdom there. I could put on a T-shirt and it would keep us going. <laughs> but there's somebody who's been involved in numerous startups, uh, entrepreneurial enterprises. And I take away that feeling that successful businesses are the ones that aren't abandoned uh, too soon. Uh, yes, that was a, uh, one of the main things she said. But she also she's the sort of person who she, she comes up with an idea for a project and she thinks, I'm going to conquer that. Yeah, she puts a lot of prep into it. Um, and she has a great deal of confidence and would that we had more, but we can develop that. We can develop that. Well, that was wonderful. So it's a busy week to come here at Hobeck because we have a book launch. We do on Tuesday. We are publishing the lovely Lynn Laversha's Bloodlines. And Bloodlines is a terrific book. It's all too realistic, realistic. I mean, you know, it is one of those things which takes you into the heart of a family, in the middle of a community and shows the impact of drug deals and drug lines coming out of London on a rural community. It's really powerful. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so realistic, isn't it? And I love the way that she sort of, um, she understands the teenage mind. So the teenage mind, when you're that age, you're you're very concerned with perception, people's yeah. perception with you. And then something comes along to dera- derails your life. And that throws everything into turmoil. So it's how they deal with that. And well, there's silence. There's honour in silence, but there's also pain and mistakes that lie within the silence. So, you know, you don't feel confident enough to call it out. You don't want to be seen as the person who, who, dobs people in. And yet, that's what realistically you should do. But yeah. honour amongst teenagers is such that you keep quiet. It's very strong, isn't it? And actually, I had a conversation on similar lines with uh, Toby, who's in year seven. Yeah. Um, he's not even at, quite at the teenage level yet, but they have this dilemma on a much smaller scale. Oh, yeah, it's a smaller but... scale, but it's definitely there. You know, he he feels there's behaviour going on in his classroom where the teacher's backs are turned, which shouldn't be allowed. But at the same time, he doesn't feel that he can say anything. Yeah. Because you don't want to be the class snitch. No, no, because he wants to be liked, as everybody does. So, yes. Absolutely. So, right. bloodlines. No, absolutely. Look, Lynn's been very poorly the last few days with COVID. Uh, but she has taken the time, and we thank her for, to find the energy yeah. to answer our questions, uh, as we have done with, with sort of second-time Hobeck authors an opportunity for them to introduce the book. So uh, here are some of the questions that we've asked. Uh, in a few sentences, tell us a little about the second book in this series. Bloodlines tells the story of a family torn apart by county lines and the desire of one member to stand up against it. Darcy, who is adopted and of mixed race, is convinced he doesn't fit in with his peers, uh, but despite his self-doubt, he's in fact a highly talented artist and he has a glittering future. But his life dissolves when, tragically, a drugs gang forces his way into his life and the lives of all the people he cares for. Once again, Steph Grant, ex-police officer, now college receptionist, unravels the mystery with the help of her former boss, D.I. Hale, and, of course, Derek the dog comes along, as she becomes intimately involved in a family trying to survive the threats of the drugs gangs. I'm fascinated by what happens in the domestic world of families. 
We all want to appear normal, but once a front door is closed, that's when it becomes a place of secrets and lies and people who are trying to survive in a situation where they've lost control. That's what the novel is about. What are your plans for publication day? Well, at the moment, uh, I'm actually on day 10, I think it is, of COVID, which has hit me rather hard. I'm hoping that by Tuesday, I'll get rid of that little red line on the bottom of the COVID test and come out negative so I can go out for lunch with friends and drink loads and loads of fizz, celebrating my book and feeling normal at last. As you're recording the audio for this series yourself, how have you found that experience? I've actually found this surprisingly difficult. Uh, I thought after a career of actually spending so many years reading out loud poetry, prose, drama to all my students to engage them in literature, I thought I was rather good at it until I tried doing this recording. I sat in a friend's recording studio um, and I had to have my chair changed. It had to be put on blankets. I had to put my feet on blankets. I had to hold the edge of the desk and not wobble. Every single squeak was recorded, where in live performance, of course, the occasional word that gets swallowed or the bumbling mistake, such as I've just made, doesn't actually show up. But of course, on a recording, every single whisper is recorded. I must say that actually my, how can I put it, my admiration for the work that Adrian and other narrators do is just squared, multiplied by what other mathematical... (laughs) thing you want to use. What's coming next for Steph? Can you give us a hint? The third novel is going very well, almost at the end of it. Um, Steph is back in Suffolk again and she becomes involved with three families who share a rather lovely Tudor mansion in beautiful grounds just outside Southwold. It's an arrangement that has worked very well for 20 years, but At the time when she enters it, it's crumbling and there's been a tragedy as a result of a great deal of stress and tension. And Steph and Hale find themselves trying to work out how these events and unfortunately a murder has what exactly has led up to where they are now and trying to avert further deaths. It's this idea of having a perfect life that works with no <laughs> no shopping, cooking, cleaning, everything done for you, and suddenly it all blows up. Uh, anyway, I hope you're going to enjoy it when it comes. Rebecca's random question. No, Lynn, you did not get away with this. Do you believe in ghosts? If so, have you ever seen or experienced one? I don't know where to go with that. I think we asked Wendy something similar, didn't we? Well, she writes no, we, well we didn't have random questions on there. It was no, just part of the interview. No, it was part of the interview rather than <laughs> a, a formal random piece of of stuff. Well, as we've been saying, we're building up to Crime Fest in Bristol. That's our first visit. We've got one or two veterans within the Hobeck team who will no doubt guide us with Brian Price leading the way. He's been a regular there pretty <laughs> much since the start. Oh, it was like the Pied Piper with Brian in front and the rest of us sort of I, trotting behind him. I think he's going to be one of those guides with an umbrella above his head so that, you know, we, there's a visual reference point when you're at the back. <laughs> no, a copy of Fatal Hate. Uh, yeah, possibly. <laughs> possibly. Um, so we're uh, we're thrilled to be catching up with so many of our authors. Um, probably about a quarter, maybe a fifth. Uh, no, actually more than that. Nearly a third yeah, of our stable good, are going to be yeah. with us. So that's going to be great. And uh, we 
proudly showing off the Hobeck brand to a whole load of new potential readers and, well, who knows? If only a, we could take the cat. One or two potential authors, yeah, <laughs> if we could take the cat. I mean, oh, she would be such a crowd drawer in her, if that's a word. Do you think we should do it? We could do um, it. No, we can't take the cat. We're not taking the cat to Bristol, no. Okay, all right, fair enough. I understand. <laughs> so uh, we're looking forward to that. In the meantime, we have umpteen projects to finish we've got two more books coming out in may as well so yeah may's a big month for us yeah exactly so lots of campaigns to set up and i've got a proofing project to finish early this week and i have audio which i'm plowing on with on on several fronts so that's uh, what i'm looking forward to no doubt you'll be handing with me one or two other things to to think about too we have an author announcement we hope this week as well we do i think i'll be handing you a tennis racket and saying come on get on court yeah well, we'll <laughs> we might play a little later in fact we'll take as many of our children as possible uh oh, there's another one yeah there's another one hovering he's no doubt hungry um now what else have you got coming this week um, what else have I got? Um, I'm still working on the uh, lovely Writers and Artists Year book. I'm still working on my sales business books, The Lawn Needs Mowing, um, in terms of Hobeck, you know, launching uh, Lynn's second book and working on the other two that are coming in May and the three, we've got three in July as well. And um, so, yeah, it's very busy. It is. It really is busy. But uh, I think we should draw it to a close there. So we'd like to thank Nicola Cook. Uh, for joining us, or Isabel Isabella Wiles, if you prefer, uh, the author name that she writes under for her fiction. Uh, great interview. Thank you so much for her time. Well, next week's guests will be no doubt picked up from our time to Crime Fest. So we're going to bring you a Crime Fest special from Bristol next week. Without the cat. Without the cat. Uh, if you wish to catch up with any of our news, our author announcement coming later in the week. Uh, go to our website, www.hobeck.net, where you'll find details of all of our authors, all of our books, our audiobooks, our blogs, you name it. It's all there. And a discount shop for paperback copies of our titles. So uh, go there and you can enter any details you want. If you want one of our authors to write you a signed copy with a special dedication, the opportunity is there yeah so. just add in a notes field to mildred or whatever <laughs> so mildred's going to get festooned with hobet books <laughs> this week uh so that's uh, that's it for this week thank you so much for joining us uh, on show 70 show 71 from bristol to come but uh, for myself adrian hobart and myself rebecca collins thank you so much for joining us and have a wonderful and creative week You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.